in three, two, one. Stacey Hall has coached thousands of entrepreneurs on how to attract sales, satisfaction, and success. She is a best-selling author, a TEDx presenter, and a leading social media marketing expert. She is the founder of the groundbreaking social media marketing training program, Go For Yes, and she just released her latest book, Selling From Your Comfort Zone. Join me now for my conversation with Stacey Hall. Well, hi, Stacey. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. It's a thrill for me to be in your studio. I've wanted to be here for a while, so thanks for inviting me in. Well, I'm really excited. I was really looking forward to this interview. I had a chance to read your book and watch a number of your YouTubes and was very interested in a lot of the strategies and the tactics that you present because, first of all, as a sales trainer and speaker, there's things which absolutely should be retired, let's just say that. But what do you replace them with and with that void? And you definitely have a lot of cool strategies in there, which we're going to talk about and share with with our audience. But before we get there now, you've been a business professional for a number of years, and I want to just talk a little bit about your background. In the early days, I know as a young girl, your dad was a sales professional. You grew up observing him, learning the strategies and tactics, and some of which he aligned with, and that's a word you use a lot throughout your book, and we'll talk about that, and some of which he didn't. How did you know which ones he did and which ones he didn't? How did you- It was pretty- <laughs> It was mostly what he didn't align with. And so my father went into sales because what he really wanted to do was be a geologist and they couldn't find any jobs back then in geology. It was a lean time for that industry, if you will, or that genre. And um, so everybody said he was great with people. He should go into sales. And my father is. Well, he's passed now. But there wasn't anybody who met my father who didn't love him. And he's just a very wonderful, warm, funny man. The difficulty was that at you know the old ways of training in sales and of being rewarded by the management really didn't compensate based upon how well you got along with people. It was compensation and encouragement based on how well you made the sale, right. which makes sense, right? You're That's a salesperson. Right. But for my father, he liked to develop relationship. He was a relationship builder before that was the key word. He, he was ahead of his time. You know? Yeah, He was definitely ahead of his time. And so it was very hard for him to push. And you asked me how I could tell. Well, when you're a young kid, you watch your adults around you and you can tell when your parents are happy and when they're not. And so he would wake up every day and the tapes would go on. He'd often take me to school. And I'm talking about tapes as in cassette tapes. I remember those days. Right. And that little cassette recorder. And he'd be listening to them when he was getting ready or while I was getting ready because my mother had a job outside of the house. I can remember I have this very clear picture. I'm going on a little bit, but I could see him like he always dressed beautifully. He really cared about his appearance and how he looked and how he presented himself to people. And then he'd come home in the afternoon and dejected. And I would hear him tell my mother about the ways that he wished he could talk to people. He would be allowed to talk to people or what was frustrating him about how he had to do things. And that just kind of played, as I can say, in my head. And I watched it a lot growing up. So his sales process wasn't aligned with his authentic self. And so there was a disconnect for him. 
And it wasn't that he didn't attempt to sell for other companies. He sold for some major names. I won't say the names at this point, but major names. And then he also started selling education because he really believed in education. And the beautiful thing is before he died, he became a substitute teacher and he found his calling. I just wish he could have done it a lot longer. But he went into education as well. And still there was this way he was supposed to fit, you know, be prepared to overcome the objections, learn the script, be a robot. And it just always went against his grain. Interesting. Well, that was the model you saw. Now you went into business and I think you started on a marketing bent. First of all, that was your main focus in your career. How did you then transition that into some of the sales work that you do, the consulting that you do, the writing and speaking that you do, and then applying those lessons from watching your father, which were good. I mean, what a great role model. And (laughs) But how did you make that transition? Because I think that's important. That's foundational, right? So how did you get into that? And then what led you to think, hey, there's an opportunity for me to share some of these concepts or alignment with the people I serve? Well, the first thing I had to sell out of school was me in order to get a job. And it was in my DNA. I was not going to talk to people the way that I heard that it just that didn't work for me either. So when I was out selling, getting a job, I went for the let's build relationship. Let me find out everything I can about the people, not just the company, but the people I'd be interviewing for and with start asking them questions. And it worked every single time. I learned right away that people like to talk about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And if I could ask them questions about them, they could see that I was interested in being able to fit into their environment rather than trying to bully my way into their environment. So I could say that it happened immediately when I was interviewing for jobs as soon as I came out of college. That also then led me into being very successful in marketing. A lot of marketers know how to promote. They don't know how to sell. Exactly. You mentioned to me ahead of time, yeah, I worked for Federal Express. I won a ton of awards at Federal Express Mm -hmm. because my marketing programs brought together the sales side and the upside. And I'd be the mediator between them because I could understand what ops was being incentivized to do and what sales was being incentivized to do. And I could see very clearly how they were working against each other. Understanding sales the way I did, I could help both sides come to an agreement and then sell that back to the company. I think that's a huge problem in today's world too. We see that all the time at Disconnect. Like I've always thought sales and marketing should be in the same silo, should be under the same executive because marketing comes up with great messaging and that they think is good messaging. They give it to the sales force who's actually knocking on the doors, meeting with the people, establishing the relationships. And there's a complete disconnect in the messaging. And then marketing blames sales for lackluster results. Sales blames marketing. And so that alignment and with the focus on the relationship, I think is critical. So I think you're bang on with that. Thanks. Well, and that's it. And I do give credit to my dad for showing me what the end result could be or could not be from the marketing. Well, the relationship, and you talk about this in the book, know, like, and trust. And I've always believed that relationships are the name of the game. And what's interesting is when we work with our audiences and talk with our clients, and I'm genderizing this, but I see it all the time. Men think they're really, really good at relationships. And women are generally, I find multi-tiered relationships within organizations. Just what I observe, they're good at building rapport, having the client know and like them and trust them at different levels within the organization. And men are getting better at this, but 75% of divorces are initiated by women. Number one reason, 
unmet expectations. Prince Charming is not so princely. And I remember one time I was doing a program and Tom Peters was the main keynote program. I was the opening act. And he gets up there and the first thing he said to the audience, he said, Mr. CEO, listen to me. I'm going to give you the best advice I can possibly give you. He goes, fire all the men. And the audience kind of gasped because it was predominantly male. And he says, look, don't fire all the men, but guys pay attention. Start following the leadership and the roles of how women do it and women are with relationships because it matters. And it's romancing the client. It's that no like, and trust. It's sending roses to our clients and that can go both directions. It's really about paying attention to them and noticing what's important to them and how do we get them to know, like, and trust us. So I think you're bang on with that in your book as well and you talk about that. Do you have any strategies that you recommend as far as to quickly build that trust and get them to know and like us quickly? Okay, so exactly, I'm just going to break down what I always do. And that is first, and thank goodness for social media, find out everything you can about the person that you're going to be meeting with. Too often people look up the company and they bypass the human being. Right. And so they get into the opportunity to have, even if it's just a social media connection request, and they completely ignore the human. That is in front of them. So that's first and foremost. Look at those person's profile. See what they're about. You're really great at this. Go out, see what else they're known for. See if they've ever spoken on any stages. Very, very important to know the person who you want to have say yes to you. So the company isn't saying yes. The person's saying yes to you. Oh, it's great insight. So that's first and foremost. That covers a whole lot of things Mm -hmm. right there. When you are connecting, you ask questions. And I'm going to use LinkedIn as an example of what gets said and done wrong, wrong, wrong. Do not send a connection request on LinkedIn and ask the person to tell you more about them. That is not a question. Tell me more about you. No, I will not tell you more about me. Everything I want you to know is on my personal page. What I want to know is, are you going to ask me about something that is on my personal page? Ask me anything that's there. Tell me more. Why did you become a producer of books, Stacey? What did you enjoy FedEx and why did you leave it, right? Like these kinds of questions I noticed on your personal page X, I'm curious and would love to know more about that. Yeah, great insight. And no, that's not going to lead you to a sale in the first connection request, but it's not supposed to. No, it's starting that conversation and engagement and then asking questions as that engagement improves. I've heard somewhere, we had one of our guests talking, he said it could be eight to 12 messages down the line before we even bring up that process. They'll usually bring it up because they're checking you out as well. Matter of fact, you can keep asking interesting questions about them. Eventually, I think they're going to come back and ask something about you, right? I call this leading up. You can either sell right away and then have to keep following up. Right. Or you can ask questions and build relationship and keep leading up. And leading up is you're leading the conversation with questions, not with pitches, but with questions. And what you just said is it's natural. The more we show interest in someone else, the more they want to show interest in us. And then eventually they say, aren't you ever going to tell me about your products? Yeah, they'll bring it up and open the door for you. And then again, you want to relate the products back to them, maybe with a question so that it's driving that engagement. Good insight. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e commerce. 
B2C and B2B companies gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Stacy Hall. Now, in your book, Selling from the Comfort Zone, it was interesting to me because I've always been one of those trainers and speakers who said, hey, you got to get out of your comfort zone. People ask me all the time, what are you going to do? And well, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You can't do what you've always done. And what intrigued me about your book is you say, hey, no, matter of fact, you want to stay in your comfort zone. And so let's start this way. Why do people have the wrong idea about what selling actually is? And how do we change those perceptions? This somewhat has to do with the comfort zone. Your question about why do people have the wrong perception and not so much yet. I believe they have the wrong perception because of all the training. You may think that you train like others, but I know you don't. Right. Most sales training going 50, 60, 70 years, because before my father was listening to those tapes, they had been teaching it like a good 25 years before that. And I won't name names because some of them are the people that are so well-respected. But every sales training first talks about how to overcome objections and the script to learn in order to overcome those objections. In this day and age, people want to be heard. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it really does come down to really one thing, and I'm going to call it empathy. Mm -hmm. People want to be acknowledged and they want to be understood for the stressors that are on them. There was maybe there was a time in our world where only a few people had stress, maybe, but that's not true anymore. Everybody is stressed today on a variety of levels. So why do people get a bad reputation is because they're taught go in and sell and expect objections. So it's like suit up, put on the armor, put on the knee pads, get a thicker skin, grow a pair, as they say, and go find out who's ready to buy from you today. Right. Nobody's ready to buy from you today. Everyone is overworked, concerned about keeping their jobs, concerned whether they want to even keep their jobs, concerned about their families, their health, all of it. That's where their head is at. And so somebody who still goes in, and I see it every day, I'm the recipient of it, let's get to sales pushy, spammy, salesy. And whereas in the past, those words used to be in people's minds, you would never say it to somebody. We say it now. We're just like, you're being too pushy. Cut it out. You know, I'll be in touch. So that would be the reason why. And there's so many studies now that have said, what is the word associated with salespeople? The word is pushy. And that is sad. Yeah, as far as where we go. And and like I say, a lot of people are uncomfortable. They feel it's manipulative. It's coercive. It's a means to an end. And you've identified why that is. So why your comfort zone is your power zone, you cover in the introduction in the first part of your book. And that's what was interesting to me was how do we go to our comfort zone where we are right now in this current place? And why is that our power zone? Okay. Well, this is my joy to talk about. So the first thing is, I want everybody to know, the word no, according to numerous psychological studies, is debilitating 
to the human spirit. So training that tells us to be prepared to hear no automatically puts a salesperson, a sales professional behind the eight ball. They're already debilitated before they ever get out there. Okay. And that's what I saw. So what we want is to be connected to people who are likely to say yes. So here we go. Now I'm going to teach you why the comfort zone is the place where you're going to connect with them. The first is we have to know what our strengths are, what our skills are, and what our values are. That's the first step. We need to be in alignment with that. Strengths, skills, and values. Values. Exactly. Not someone else's, not what someone else is telling me they should be, Right. what they are. Okay. I'm an adult. I've had plenty of years to get to this point. I know what my skills are. I know what my strengths are. I know what my talents are. And I sure know what my values are. I know what is a deal breaker and what is not. Okay. So from there, I want to choose what I'm going to represent as a product or a service that I feel comfortable representing. So here comes the comfort zone right away. If I'm choosing a product to sell or a service to sell that I am not in alignment with, why am I doing that? It's beyond the number of companies, beyond the number of products, beyond the number of services that are available to be sold in this world today. Way too common, though. It's going on all over. I would say most professionals are selling product services that are just transactional to them. They're not products of the product. And to your point, say a good movie or a TV show. I'm not going to recommend it if I didn't really enjoy the movie. If I watched it and I liked it, I'm going to tell you, and it's easy for me to do it authentically. I'm not going to try and sell you on a movie if I really didn't like it. And that's how a lot of sales professionals show up is they're going through the motions and then they wonder why they don't make sales. So what you were just saying is when you love what you're doing, oh, and by the way, I think it's HubSpot and I talk about this in the book. There's actually a study Mm -hmm. that was done last year. It is 55% of salespeople are selling the wrong product. They have Mm -hmm. no passion for it at all. So they get up. They're going through the motions. They're talking to people. They're going through the motions. Your prospect cannot feel any empathy because there is no empathy coming forth. And empathy is a feeling, isn't it? Empathy is a feeling. Yeah, it's projected and it's received. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So from that perspective, we must have a feeling about what we're selling. And that feeling comes from having a personal story. And I know you're all about the personal stories. When we have a personal reason why we believe in this product or service, that belief translates. That belief hits people, and please forgive me for being a little woo-woo, but it does. It hits them in their soul. It hits them in their heart. And that's what people are craving. It's interesting. Not the exchange of information from the mind, but this yeah, the is resonance. what they're craving. It's, the, it's vibrational. It's a resonance. They feel it. Yeah. I- I get it. That's interesting. My wife said she can't sell, but she does a great job selling because she's not selling. And when I meet people who love their product, but they say, oh, I can't sell. I'm just not good at selling. I said, well, tell me about your product. They're great at selling. That's exactly how you should be is your authentic self. And as I've got older, I've had to learn to evolve my practice and move it out of transaction and into relationship and only sell it if it's a good solution for that particular client. If it's got to be absolutely a perfect solution or I can walk away from it. And that's an interesting stat, the HubSpot stat where 60, 65% of people don't believe in the products that they sell, or it's just a job, or maybe you're working for a company that their product is just subpar. Let's change gears just a little bit, but stay within our thought. I really like the metaphor of the rubber band 
chapter two of your book. So tell our listeners about the rubber band effect. Okay. So this is where folks will say to me, but you have to get out of your comfort zone in order to grow. And I'll say, all right, so you're out of your comfort zone. Where are you? I don't know. Always. I don't know. Exactly. You have no clue what to do next unless somebody is telling you exactly what to do. And now you are not in your heart. So we go back inside the comfort zone, my talents, my skills, my gifts, my values. Now I feel comfortable when I'm able to, let's say I'm in sports, which I don't, but I'm just going to pull that out. Let's say I love to play sports. I'm comfortable talking about sports. Well, what if you expand your comfort zone by selling something that is sports related? You're now given, that's the rubber band. The rubber band has give to it, right? Any rubber band, you get it, it's got a certain circumference. You could pull it gently and it will expand and it will still do what it's supposed to do. Too far out, it's going to snap and break. And that's what happens to people. But if it's like, okay, this is what I love to talk about. This is what I enjoy. All right. Well, let's say that you love watching football. What could you sell that's football related? Mm. You can sell football equipment. You could sell products that are bought by high school or college football teams, right? There's tons of things you could sell. You could sell uniforms if you needed to. You don't, if you're there, you've got so much to talk about with the people you're going to be selling could to. Could be ticket sales, could be paraphernalia. Yeah, I've got a couple of sports teams that are clients uh, down in Arizona, Go Suns Go. And yeah. the young folks who love to sell for them love the sport. They don't play it, but they love selling it. And right. they go on and sometimes they move over to different sports like baseball. So that's a great example of that. Now, another way you describe that in your book, there's a quote in there from Rhonda Britton's metaphor. She uses a dartboard describing yes. the breaking point. Talk about that a little bit, because I know the bullseye is kind of our comfort zone. And then as the rings expand out, she describes those. Can you go into that a little bit? Exactly. And I love her. I love the dartboard mm-hmm. because that is the rubber band in action. So in the core, that is your sweet spot. Right. And if you can find a way to be prosperous without having to expand and just doing every day what you love to do, great. That's where you are. Some of us, we want to do more than that. We want to be able to expand the size of that. And she talks about that as the outer ring around the bullseye, right? Right. That's where you still feel comfortable. You might need some training in order to really feel comfortable there. right? Then she starts talking about the band around that as getting into the danger zone. Right. That's where you're expanding too far, the rubber band that you feel it's going to snap if it goes any further, and you're not even sure you want to stay there. It's like, yeah, I too think this tension. is a little too far out. Mm-hmm. And then there's that outer ring where you're out of it, you're so far away I'm from dead. your- yeah. Yeah, it's, you're done. Yeah. That's the way No points. Well, it's hard to, you know where the bullseye is so you can see it as visible. And with practice, you're going to get that bullseye more often. And so it's really about, hey, that's my target. That's what I'm going for. I'm not going to hit all the time, all the time. If I throw 10 darts at it, I might get one or two, but next time I do another 10, my odds might improve, but it just gets better and better as you develop your own mastery around that. So I I love those metaphors. Those are really perfect. Well, staying along those veins, I also love formulas. I use a a number of different formulas and so do you. I like them because they're like recipes. You just have to follow it and you can get amazing results, right? And I teach them in my books as well. But in your book, you teach the alignment marketing formula. So let's talk about that and the elements of that and unpack that a little bit. 
Okay. And what you just said, if you follow the alignment marketing formula, you will always get sales satisfaction and success, which to me is the bullseye. There really is. You may not sell everyone every day, but you will build relationship with everyone who you're meant to build relationship with. And I know that sounds woo-woo. Let's get into the specifics. That's a win. That's a win. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And if you see it as that, then you can keep leading the relationship forward. So I call it the new ABCs of selling. Alignment, belief, consistency. Instead, right? of, instead of always be closing the old Instead of always way. be closing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So alignment has four stages. Mm-hmm. And this is where you're hanging out in your comfort zone in four parts of your comfort zone. Right. What you love to do, what you feel passionate about doing, and some people would call that the big why, right? Right. We've always heard, what's your big why? I call that alignment with yourself. Then you must be in alignment with what you're selling, as I mentioned before, whether it's a product or service, somehow you must have a personal connection to it, even if it's just you believe in it, you love it, you want to see more people use it because you have a reason for that. Right. Then you must be in alignment with an audience that has a need for that product. We're not going out to convince people they need a product or a service. We're going to be talking to people who already are likely to need that product or service. Hence, social media makes it really easy to find those people. And fourth, we have to be in alignment with the message we're putting forth, Mm. which is our personal story of why we love that product. Yeah, those are good points. And like I say, you give a lot of examples in there and how they can bring that to light for them. Figuring out who our ideal prospects or audiences can be a challenge for some. I know it's a common question we get. How can we take the guesswork out of prioritizing who is our most ideal prospect? All right. So I say most people will go take a look at the product and say, who's this product for? Right? Right. We created this product for this group of people. All right. Well, that's nice. I say, who are you? So Michael, I'm going to use you an example. Okay. Yep. You're a man over 50. Yes. Wasn't sure. Okay. Yep. Over thank 50. you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. What do you love to do? What Motor, are your motorcycles, loves in your life? motorcycles, golf, and flying airplanes? Motorcycles, golf, flying airplanes. Do you have family? I do. Seven okay. children, my wife and I have. Okay. So I'm going to share with you that as a woman also over 50, I'm not into motorcycles. Okay. I do love to fly, but only for really at this point pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it was motorcycles, golf, planes, golf, and, and golf. Right. And I'm not a golfer. Okay. I love family. I know you told me about your family, but what I also know about you is that you are very core value driven. Right. Very important. And you love Calgary, you go between Calgary and Phoenix. And so we share those things, right? If I have a product that I love or service that helps me, I might probably not contact you. Right. Okay. And the reason I contacted you about the podcast is because both of us are interested in selling, right? Mm -hmm. But if I have a product or service that doesn't help people sell more, I want everybody to know I can't really relate to Michael. My company might tell me he's perfect for the product. Right. Demographically, maybe. or Demographically. But if we're not talking about sales, I might not choose him as my prospect. If I come across him, I might suggest it to someone else in my organization who would be more closely aligned with him. Sure. I'm going to go look for a woman who's over 40, who's into the things that I'm into. I love coaching. I love personal development. I've got two dogs. I mean, I'm going to go find someone like that 
who also enjoys what I enjoy and would have a need for my product and service. So notice I'm not putting the product or service first. I'm putting who's like me first. Right. Are they in a position to need my product or service? Well, and I think those are the personal things. The one thing I've learned is like, those are the things I do for fun. Right. And one of the questions I always ask clients always at the end of the meeting, shaking hands, we're just walking out the door. I call it the Columbo question. It's the one that gets you, those who remember Columbo. And I would just go, hey, Stacy, when you're not working 12 hours a day, 60 hours a week, what do you do for fun? And I'm looking for that. And that's going into my CRM. And that's how I'm going to connect with you. And major corporations, it could be wine. And I've joined wine clubs with CEOs before. It's books a lot of times or interest. And with you, for instance, if I was connecting with you from my perspective, I'm going to come at you from a fellow author and speaker perspective because we have that in common, right? So we're looking for commonality. And that's what creates likability, I think. And you kind of talk about that. The more we can find in common. So your reference of, hey, go check out the social media sites is important. If I find out that you're a dog person or cat person, I think it's Frankie and Lucy are your two pups. Oh uh, my goodness. Yes, and, you did. You really did. Yeah. And Frankie's a girl. Just yes, Francesca, Francesca, but Francesca, she's a tomboy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. But that's the point. We're looking for, here's my audience, looking for commonalities. Now, a lot of people think they got to come out and pitch. We watch Shark Tank and we think, I'm coming out, I'm going to pitch. <laughs> to the whatever. And you've got a great chapter on ditching the pitch. And I thought it was really interesting. So what are people supposed to do instead? And is there a right way to do that? Yeah. So it's where I shared before you start asking the questions, like you said, you asked the Colombo question. And I'm going to say, I would start that question from the beginning. Again, when I first done my research, I have to be the private detective before I ever send a message or pick up the phone to find out what this person's into, what they're about. So that when I say, I'd like to connect with you, I see that you're also interested in. That's great. I'm going to be more specific here. Let's say that I'm selling copiers. Right. Okay. I'm working for a a major company that sells copiers. Right. Well, I already know that the job position in a company that is likely to buy that copier is X. Right. Right. I know the job position. I don't know the person. When I contact the person, I'm going to say I'm reaching out because I found that we're both interested in this. And yes, I see you are in this position and you could probably see that I sell copiers. I'd love to know more about this. And also, I'd love to know more about what's working for you about your current copier. What's not working for you? Would you be willing to have a conversation with me about that Mm. to get to know each other? I am not sending my features and my benefits sheet as my first contact. Well, and that's why I think we have a dysfunctional buying process out there in today's world because we have a dysfunctional selling process. And I always use the analogy or the metaphor of going to see the doctor. If you walked into the doctor's office and you said to the doctor, hey, I had some symptoms. I Googled it. This is what I have. Here's the prescription that I'd like, please. And that actually goes on like more often than not. But if the doctor wrote you the script, you're going, really? And in Canada, drug advertisements, they're illegal. You can't have them. Like in America, we have them going on with two minute disclaimers, but in Canada, you don't. And I believe that our products and services are solutions of problems. So unless you understand the problem, diagnosis before prescription, 
you're barking up the wrong tree. So that's why we have this dysfunctional process. Now, the professional selling's definitely evolved, as you know, and the pandemic has accelerated technologies and changed the way we sell. What changes have you seen that have been a result of the pandemic? I mean, we've seen Zoom and the online, but have you seen anything else that we should be oh, paying attention to? And Absolutely. And by the way, yes, I would love for the pharmaceutical ads to go away. So the changes are, first off, especially here in the United States, but I hear it's happening all over the world. Right. The quiet quitting. Right. Because people are saying, you know what? There's too many options. I don't need to be in situations that do not make my heart sink. Good thing. I love it. I know companies don't. Right. But you know what? Companies have had turnover and turnover and turnover for eons. Maybe this will help them start identifying that employees are human beings. And change their interview processes. And I know some are. Some are starting to really talk to their interviewees as what is it you want to accomplish in your world? Not why would you be a good fit for our company? So I see that happening. I see the direct selling. People are leaving corporate America and going to direct selling companies in droves. Right. And it's beautiful because those are people who know they really need to get training. And what I'm starting to see for a long time, direct selling companies were still treating their reps just like they would regular salespeople, just not paying them, right? Right. Unless they sold anything. And now more and more of these companies are talking to them about personal growth questions and why are you here and what do you want to be able to get out of this company and who would be the perfect people for you to have on your team? not just selling the products. So these are all wonderful movements in the right direction, I believe. Sure. Now, as people evolve their processes and start to sell from the comfort zone, one of the things you talk about, and you go into great detail into it, I think it's in part four, part five of your book, is about consistency and the importance of consistency. And it's consistencies important to their success. So why is it so difficult to stay consistent and what can we do about it? And you do talk about it being a two-way street too, which I really loved. I never thought of it that way. Unpack that just a little bit for our listeners. So there's really only three activities as a sales professional. You build your audience, you engage your audience, you sell to your audience in that order. Build, engage, sell. And you mentioned no like trust, right? So why don't people? Because we don't do things that we don't know how to do. We are not consistent when we're not sure what to do. So if you've got your sales manager with you when you go out and you're making your calls and the sales manager is whispering in your ear, telling you what to say, you'll do it. Right. Sales manager's not there. It doesn't come naturally to you. You're not going to do it. You're going to put off doing it because you say, I should know, like all those shoulds, I should know what to do. I don't I want to do it because it doesn't come naturally to you. Right. Again, the comfort zone makes it possible for people. You already know what you do well. Now expand on that. And in sales, if you know why you love your product and you know the kinds of people you want to connect with, and yes, I do in the book, teach you ways to know that. Right. You've now overcome that hurdle of, I don't know what to do. It's like, I do know who, what to do and I do know who to contact. Now I'll stay consistent doing it. And that goes to the accountability. And you talk about that. You say that self-accountability is the source of consistency. Explain that a little more. Well, what I want to be able to count on myself for yeah. is different than when someone says to me, can I count on you? None of us as adults, I have yet to find an adult who says, 
I'm looking for someone that I can be accountable to. Yeah, no one okay? wants that. No one wants that. Now, some people will say, I want someone to hold me accountable. No, we don't. The minute somebody does, we resent it. Rebel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a new way of thinking about accountability is simply, what do I want to count on myself for? If I want to count on myself to make a certain amount of money, then it's up to me to do the activities that make that money. So it's up to me to figure out how to do those activities. Then it's up to me to figure out in the sales, what do I want to sell to make that kind of money and what's it going to take to do it? And then I'm relying on myself. Now that's scary for a lot of people who have been taught to listen to other people. And I'm saying it doesn't take very much to make the shift. And it's more rewarding. No, you explain that a lot. Your part five, your daily methods of making sales from within your comfort zone, you go into four or five chapters on self-accountability, you're scheduling your success, avoiding comparison with others, make sure your setbacks, because you will get them, don't break you, self-acknowledgement, celebration. Another area you talk in there is about envisioning. And I love that. Maybe as we're coming to the end of our conversation, you teach that people should envision their success. Explain what that means and how you define that and how we should do it. Well, it's interesting because, yes, I talk about it at the end, but it's actually all the way through the book is envisioning who you want to talk with. What would be the kinds of people you'd want to talk with in sales? What would you want them to say back to you? What do you want them to say yes to? And being able to clearly identify that to yourself is where all of this begins. It's everything. And so if you know, what you want to accomplish, and you can see it, then you can reverse engineer it back for yourself. And it's just that simple. And so we talk about visioning all the time, and it is essential. I watched the Olympic athletes during the Olympics, and you watch the bobsled and the luge athletes. And before they do their runs, you always see them closing their eyes, and you see them bobbing their head. They're practicing, and so they actually practice, and they envision the court. One thing we've been teaching professionals for years is see the end result in mind. So when I go into a client meeting, or a conversation, I actually see them signing the agreement, writing a check, being absolutely delighted, and it changes your own psyche, your own confidence. And we've had episodes on I am and using I am statements with Shauna Shu as a guest and talked about, I can't do that yet. So, hey, I can't do this. And those who are listening might go, I still can't do this. I can't sell from my comfort zone yet. And yeah. because it's a matter of learning and practicing. And so you give those tools in there. Now, your book was written for basically everyone who sells for a living, but that covers a lot of people and a lot of professions. It's not just selling a widget, a product, a service. If you want to become a better communicator, period, just in your own conversations, a better parent, better teacher, it doesn't matter what your role is. If you engage with people, they're going to find some gems in there that really help them communicate with that. Does that sum it up well? Perfectly, because as I said, I use those same principles to sell myself for a job. So yes, early on, we all sell, whether we want to believe we sell or not. If we take selling out and put in the word offer, suggest, we are Mm. all making suggestions and offers all day long. Just conversation, because we are influencing or we're trying to influence. You know, you have a great quote in your book, success happens by design with structure and measured responsibility. We don't always get what we want, but we almost always get what we are committed to. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due. That is Russ Devan, also a fabulous sales trainer who's been teaching this for years. So I can't take credit for it. I take credit for putting it in the book. So shout out to Russ Devan and his success by design organization. 
Awesome. Well, the good news is, is when you get in your comfort zone and you act in alignment with your core values, other people are more likely to respond in kind. And that's a win for everyone. Sure is. Awesome. Hey, it's been just absolutely terrific having you on board. Thank you so much for sharing with us. We had lots to unpack. We're going to put all your contact information in the show notes so people can get hold of you. Thank you for being generous with your insights and your strategies and highly recommend the book. Uh, I know it came out this summer and doing quite well and widely accepted. So thanks for being our guest. Thanks for this time. Thanks, Stacey. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Bess Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. Goodbye.